Welcome back to Vox Podcast, the weekly pseudo-academic pop culture analysis roundtable with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I'm once again here with the full crew, Katya and Wayne and Hannah. How's it going, guys? Hey. You, you hey. know what? What? It's fantastic because you know who finally won some medals in the Marble League? Ooh. <laughs> I did see that. I was like, uh, I, I watched it, I think... Um, I think the day we talked about it, you're like, oh, I'm waiting for Josh to watch Marvel. I'm like, OK, I can't say anything. But yes, I, I did see that you you got to you had a good day. <laughs> Not just one good day. There have been multiple. I mean, just one gold, but there have been multiple medals. The Oceanics finally came through. It's like Mississippi State. You wait and you wait and you wait all season. And it's disappointment, disappointment, disappointment. And then you all of a sudden beat LSU. <laughs> <laughs> I, love that, I love that Wade and Katya are like I think those are about sports <laughs> yeah, I, I, I only vaguely know anyway that's another episode another episode Marble League episode coming up but, but not not today but it has been exciting I'm, I'm very much looking forward to Marble League um, you guys are but I'm happy that both both of you are back because you know Wayne and I did a hurricane show without you guys yeah. <laughs> last week. It wasn't really a hurricane show. We had a we had a good show last week. Yeah. It was very good, and yeah. it was it was silly, and it was about it was about sex on teenage fourteen year old girl shows. <laughs> and we and by we, the two middle aged men. That's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we had guests. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, and, and, and since recording I have last week, questions about your ex. I, I, I have questions. I have, I have questions. <laughs> no, I, since since we recorded that, I, I did go back, and this is a footnote to last week's episode for anyone listening. I, I went back and watched the pilot episode of uh, that '70s show, and yeah. oh my God, Mila Kunis is 14 years old. Yeah, yeah. Like, like <laughs> I, I just I don't know how much I. I Process that at the time that she was genuinely that much younger than everybody else, but she's Wa- tiny. Yeah, but watching she, it now she also is like, like, is that one of the shows where she lied about how old she was yes. to get on it? She lied and right. said she was eight. She's playing a fourteen-year-old, and she and they're all playing fourteen and fifteen-year-olds. She's supposed to be fourteen. They said they said we want actors who are going to be eighteen. She said I'm going to be eighteen on my birthday, and they hired her. Right, and she was going to be on eighteen on her birthday. Four seasons later, yeah. <laughs> and in the first episode, she and Kelso are having sex in the back of a car. Yeah, and, so. and he's he's two and a half feet taller than she is. Yes, <laughs> like, it, it is it is it is it is freakishly creepy to watch when you now again in real life those actors grew up and got married eventually. So wonderful for them. But like when but once sure. you go back and watch, when, when you when you look back on it and realize what was happening, you're like, oh yeah. No. yeah. So so I everyone, but, but we talk about that a lot last week. So everybody should go back and and listen to last week's episode and you know subscribe to us on YouTube and and Spotify and Apple and all those other places. But we definitely need YouTube subscribers. I went and I put the video clips so you can see in last week's episode you can see the bit on the video clip if you don't want to watch the entire the entire pilot but it is it is freakish to watch once you it's once you're aware of it and she's like this you feel bad about yourself you're, not, <laughs> you're like is, i should call someone <laughs> it's, it's how it comes across so i need to call cys on myself yes i guess uh there's a reason my mother didn't <laughs> but I, mean, I, don't anyway. think how, I don't know how many people knew that at the time though because uh, the whole point was she was lying because it would have right. she wouldn't have been uh, able to 
Oh, no, I was just yeah. joking. I think my mother would love yeah, to watch show. it because it annoyed her. That's why she banned most <laughs> things in the house. <laughs> anyway, this is not a silly show about teen sex shows. This is about a serious topic, serious ish, something that that bugged me. So I just I just got grumpy one day. And you grumpy? Never. Well, okay, I'm frequently grumpy, but the, but the great thing about being grumpy today, as opposed to like when I, I mean, I, I was born grumpy. I was, you know, you should have seen the, the you know, the the two thousand word rant I went on, you know, the day after the day I was born about the Nixon administration. Um, but, <laughs> but checks out. But no, like, to, but see, now it's like, um, you know, I get grumpy, I get mad at something, and you know. We have a show and I can just be like, I'm going to do a show where I'm just going to rant about this for a little bit. So also in 2020, all rants are justified some, yeah, in some way. Yeah. Um, this was a, this was a little weird. Um, I follow mostly for work reasons, you know, because I, you know, it's my job to be culturally aware of stuff. So everybody else who blocks things like, oh, I, this person, this person's stupid or I hate this person. And so people will block them on social media. I don't. I, I follow a lot of people on social media just because I think they're politically stupid and I need to know what's going on there. But I saw one that was particularly dumb. It was a meme. And the person that I was following didn't make the meme. They just reposted it. But they posted a meme that was um, Jimi Hendrix playing guitar at Woodstock. And it says, in 1969, when the civil rights movement and a racist cop problem actually existed, thus implying that there's no civil rights movement or racism problem today. But OK, um, Jimi Hendrix. Seems it suspect. Yes. Jimi Hendrix played the national anthem in front of more than 500,000 anti-establishment, quote, progressive, unquote. Liberal hippies. Not a single one of them protested or took a knee. And I saw that and I was just like, how fucking stupid are you? <laughs> like that was, my, that, was my, that was my initial thing. It's like, first off, conservatives at that point hated, hated um, Jimi Hendrix's rendition of the national anthem. Um, they thought he was making a mockery of the song. So I went and looked at and So I went and looked at the comments, not just the person who posted it, because he didn't get that. I mean, it's like two likes, you know, and I but I clicked through the meme to see the original comments. And, you know, there were like 12,000 likes and reshares and just like a thousand comments. So I sat there and I just read through all of them. And it, it was insane. Ma'am, yes. ma'am, do, do you hate yourself? Yes. Is this, yes. Do we need to like. This is why ther- we're having the show. This is a, this is a therapeutic day for me. I'm getting, you know. All like, right. Uh, are you, are you dwelling? <laughs> well, no, I just like, I, this is like, I don't, I don't, I don't need to get Xanax. I have this show. It's great. So okay. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm concerned for you, man. If, if, you, if, if you're punishing yourself by reading Twitter. No, no. I, well, Facebook in this case, but I was reading a Facebook oh, group, okay. uh, a, a conservative Facebook group, yeah, in a lot of ways, and most of the people were like, um, were like, yeah, Hendrix was a real patriot. I loved his version yeah. of the national anthem. He, you know, the libs, the libs don't know what they're talking about. Blah blah blah. And then there were a few people who were like, uh, he, th- it, th- he was protesting. It was at Woodstock, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, you know, like well, and, what are you and, talking about? And, and the half million people who were there, or however many, a million people, whatever the estimates are. They weren't standing with their hands over their hearts. They no. were they were literally fucking in the mud. Yes. Yes. Yep. And, I mean like and like by the way, you can watch Woodstock on YouTube. Just like 
you yeah. know, like the, you can like watch it on YouTube. There's people like you know, some people were like, oh, dude, that oh, he is rocking the national anthem. There were some people doing that. And other people were just like barely acknowledging him passing a joint back and forth. Mm-hmm. There are people rolling around in the mud having sex. That's not a joke. That's literally what Woodstock was about. And then there are people like lots are, like, of people tripping. Yeah. Just, and then just, he's like yeah. tripping he's, balls. Like, playing this guitar solo in the middle of Star Spangled Banner and people are like, yeah, fuck the man. You're like, that's what that was about. And I was like, how does somebody misunderstand that moment to that extent and then get 15,000 people to agree with them that, yeah, that's what this was about. And I was just like, it was like, it was just, it was just insane to me. So then I started thinking about, it's not just Hendrix. There are a lot of like one thing that I think happens is protests get sort of protests have a purpose in their time and place. But as um, the world for really complicated reasons that that are sort of beside the point of this episode, um, but just trust us on this. The world over time tends to get more and I'm using this term with air quotes, but more what we would call liberal. It becomes more progressive. You know, at one point you sold black people as property and now and then eventually they got to vote. At one point you essentially sold women as property and now they got to vote, you know, and and you move on. And, you know, certainly we don't have equality today, but the world sort of gets more and more fair. It doesn't feel like it, but it does. The the march of history tends to Barring certain political movements and like in other places yeah. like let's you know yeah. there's parts of the middle east that have by that right. metric have Absol- regressed absolutely because of a variety I'm, of no, I, I'm, yes. I'm saying i'm saying the world as a whole like literally the entire planet on average has become slightly you know has become more fair over time and, and long broad, way to go in, in broad general terms yes, yes. in long way other to go than, yeah other than distribution of wealth yes yeah, yes yeah. And then new inequalities work. are made in different ways. Pop up but, all the time. But, but nevertheless. Yes. Sure. But I, 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 I take your point. Yeah. Yes. And, and, I, but, and, I, and I think it's also just like, aside from like the realities of policy, it's like the average person is arguably more liberal. Sure. Yes. Even the average conservative. Which is a low bar. Even the but, average person who considers themselves politically conservative is probably more liberal than the political conservative of Woodstock 50 years ago. Yeah. Is what I, is by, what by certain metrics. Sure. You know, is what I'm getting at. I'll accept that yeah. with a heavy asterisk. Yes. And yes. That's, that's why I mean, it's a long, this is probably a whole nother show, but I'm just saying, cause I want to move on to the other topic. But I think what happens is as, as the, as the, the baseline sort of moves and I, I hate the entire, cause in reality, it's, it's a lot more complicated than left versus right. It's a whole spectrum that goes in like eight different dimensions. But as the baseline moves from to the left in the simplistic case, the things that were being protest for, the memes attached to it. And I, I explained what memes means in the, in the blog, but the, the general, the ideas, but also the media, the artwork, the music that gets attached to a certain movement becomes culturally sort of disseminated throughout throughout everything throughout the entire like the entire society so in 2020 hendrix's rendition of the star spangled banner isn't really as controversial as it was in 1969 because you know literally 51 years of people have grown up you know hearing it hearing it and just being like oh yeah that's how that's how this is supposed to sound Mm. and people don't realize that oh my god how you know how entirely disruptive and you know controversial. How, how, how offensive it was yes, to a time. lot of people at that time mm-hmm. and, and and one of the comments on 
on the blog uh, when I posted it, uh, a friend of mine from the store, and he's not wrong, pointed out that he didn't he wasn't sure that Hendrix actually did that as a political protest. And I think that that's fair because Hendrix was all about the music. I could see him approaching that purely from a this is a piece of music. What can I do with it in my my style? I didn't link to that in the blog, but um, Mm -hmm. I'm aware. So the interview that he is sort of referencing is um, Hendrix was about three weeks after Woodstock was on the Dick Cabot show and Cabot Mm -hmm. asked him about that. He's like, you're getting, you're taking a lot of flack for your protest moment there. And Hendrix um, said, Oh, that wasn't a protest, man. I just like the song. I was, you know, I'm an, I'm an American. So I was, uh, I was, uh, 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 celebrating uh, America and yeah and like he's clearly stoned out of his fucking mind (laughs) (laughs) even like I mean whether like what whatever he definitely meant by that but even the idea of like Hendrix claiming to be like I'm an American patriot kind of thing is I mean he was at that time was also subversive he was in the 101st Airborne so you know he he had yeah (laughs) he had some some military experience you there there was that sort of thing um, Which Kevin right, also pointed like, out. Everything else about him yes. is was like at the time most people. And to be fair, he was like in the, he was in the 101st Airborne because he he got arrested for Grand Theft Auto and they gave him a choice of right. jail or the military yeah. and he chose the right. military. So it's, yeah. it's and then so he, was by all accounts was the worst soldier the right of all time. Would have considered <laughs> right. like an American patriot kind of yes. dude. He was everything that the right Hated. did not stand yes. for. Right. Yeah. But like people, but today, and you know, I posted a picture. It's like somebody's artwork of him playing in front of the American flag, and they see him. They see him as this patriot. They've like just sort of appropriated the image to be, you know, oh, you know, mom and apple pie. And the the very idea that nobody is kneeling is just sort of a. I'm like, what? Are, what are you talking right. well, about? Well, it's, it's anachronistic of like people who associate kneeling with Kaepernick when it's like, well, that was not necessarily the association. Yeah. That would have existed at the time. Like, I mean, I guess my question is, is it a, is it a situation of people not knowing their history, which I can 100 percent see, yeah. especially because mm-hmm. it's not like we teach the history of Jimi Hendrix right. in high school. Right. Or is it people I, I, I willfully. Tr- <laughs> right. Yeah. Or is it people willfully trying to co-op a specific an American moment? And like my assumption is that the, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. So. I mean, like, I think that we could take this to a more well-known example in terms of history and was taught mm-hmm. in high school. And we could talk about how MLK yeah. is taught. Sure. Um, and, like, if you get any sort of civil, which I, I, I think that most schools do teach the civil rights, but it usually ends up being like Martin Luther King says some kind words. Mm-hmm. Um, he spoke three He spoke three sentences in his, in his entire life. He had a dream, yeah. something about brown and brown and blue brown and white children holding hands and like like it's literally just like it's really really short and And malcolm x didn't exist black panthers weren't real i got malcolm x i actually got malcolm x but what they did was is they put malcolm x and martin luther king against each other and said well look at how peace won out against violence and and you know like we've talked about we we talked a lot about um you know like how history is taught in other episodes like Watchmen and how things like the Tulsa massacre just like totally have gotten erased um Mm -hmm. but you know Martin Luther King um is an example of conservatives like to meme quote him on Facebook um which you know Mav I'll let you take this away because I know yeah Well, I've, I got, we, we talked about this on the, your black friend is tired episode with, uh, when my friend kingdom and I were talking about arguing with one very specific person who was 
continuously telling us we were wrong because of this Martin Luther King quote that he saw. Um, one of his th- examples was uh, Martin Luther King said, stand up against injustice. So therefore, Martin Luther King was against kneeling. Yeah, he's that dumb. Um, <laughs> like he doesn't understand that the word that the word stand was metaphorical there. Um, and like and then we started literally quoting uh, the two of us and, you know, other academic friends of mine. because uh, This was a couple of years ago on my wall. Um, so I had people who study race and culture for a living quoting letter from the Birmingham jail at this individual. And he's like, well, that's not a real quote. That's not, that's, that can't be in context. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like he'd literally only seen like three memes of Martin Luther King ever. So in his mind, Martin Luther King's, and he said this, Martin Luther King's primary thing was standing for, um, was standing for America. He believed in the dream of America. And that's what, that's what Martin Luther King was all about. It wasn't about race. This is what a person said to me because, and like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) But see, it's what you said before though. I don't like, that's like a whole level of but he's not, he's, he just doesn't know. He literally doesn't know because think about the people that you see today who are like, well, Martin Luther King said this, Martin Luther King said that he would not have been for this. He would not have been, you know, he would not have been for burning your cities down. Like Martin Luther King was a democratic socialist. And I'm not saying in the modern sense that like of Bernie Sanders version of democratic socialism, blah, 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 blah. He would have said Martin Luther King has several speeches where he says, I believe in the values of democratic socialism only when the capitalist system is disavowed. Like he literally goes in depth about using those words in 1965 when socialism meant communist and communist meant pinko like he was using those words so you would not have liked him martin luther king was number one on the fbi's on the fbi's most wanted list and people don't understand that like they hated him his popularity rating was 30 when he died right well especially (laughs) towards the end of his life he was starting to become more convinced that violent protest actually was necessary in order to bring about the opposite like more inevitable civil rights he he was he was fighting against it and in the yeah in the speech where he says uh riots are the language of the unheard that's literally after watts that's him begging for people to listen to him because he's saying he's he's literally since about a year before he dies he's literally saying look you're not paying attention to me i'm trying to do this the peaceful way if you don't listen to me there will be riots there will be civil war like that's basically him saying that um and and he's like you're not listening you're not listening he said and he kept saying i don't think i think there's a better way i think there's a better way but it's not just up to me so he understood that it wasn't just him which is you know why he got along with malcolm x they were not enemies right well they yeah they talk tactics basically it's like they were it's like very like a jekyll and hyde has the wrong connotation but um and they're not even Malcolm X. Malcolm X is at least something, someone that people have heard of without, um, without, um, Malcolm X is a person that, um, that white people in America in 2020 have probably heard of, even if they have the wrong idea of him. Um, I was, um, talking with a friend, with a friend of mine after, um, John Lewis's funeral was last week. And I think, but for John Lewis dying, a lot of people had never heard of him before, <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, Wayne, you talked about him when he died, but like, um, so you knew who he was, but I mean, I, he's not, 
you know, he's been in the news lately, um, well, but, it, and, but he's and, and not fair, taught I, in I, history books. Yeah, I, I didn't know about him for the so first the comic. 40 years of my life. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, and I I'd heard of him before the comic, but mm-hmm. but not I, I didn't I couldn't have told you a yeah. whole lot about him prior to that. Well, at John Lewis's funeral, there's a point where they, they had all the former presidents speak, all, all, you know, all of them, but the current one who nobody wants to be around. Um, but they all got to give a little eulogy and Bill Clinton gave his and he talked about you know, the great work that that John Lewis had done back during during the civil rights movement. And for reasons that escaped me entirely, Bill Clinton compared John Lewis saying he was favorable in comparison to people doing the wrong thing like Stokely Carmichael. And I'm sitting here and I talked to and I talked yeah. with uh, Derek, who was on who was again, he was also on that on the BLM episode we did. He and I were talking and like, why? Why is he referencing Stokely Carmichael? There are two kinds of people at this funeral. People who are going to be really pissed about what Bill Clinton just said and people who have no idea who the fuck Stokely Carmichael is. Stokely's been dead over 20 years. Why are you bringing him up? He was somebody who was a little more militant than I mean, he's a black leaner. He's a he, right. he, replaced um lewis's head of snick it's it's a whole thing but stokely carmichael is an important civil rights figure who i guess bill clinton didn't like (laughs) like john he was a friend of john lewis's they didn't see eye to eye on everything but like no one sees eye to eye on everything and i'm like why are you but he's a name that nobody even knows because the way civil rights is taught in american schools is martin luther king was one guy who gave two speeches and everybody you know everything lived have everybody lived happily ever after and that's not true that's you know there's more to there's more to it than that and i think when he gets appropriated as a meme as just an idea with completely divorced from context like like the Hendrix song, I think that that's harmful to the message and it makes us repeat things over and over again. Like it means it makes the work harder in 2020 because he's, you know, the actual history of, you know, like I, I bet a lot of people have no idea what the Selma March was even about, <laughs> you know, mm. or that Birmingham or that King went to prison several times, <laughs> you know, like, I don't think people know that. Yeah. I mean, this is probably a whole other episode, but, you know, um, particular. I mean, always, uh, because I follow academics on Twitter who talk about their research, but particularly since the murder of George Floyd, a lot of people have talked about how in their field, women and scholars of color and, like, knowledge of indigenous and black people has always been neglected from the history books and, you know, different kinds of discoveries in science, which mm-hmm. indigenous people already understood because it was not categorized under a certain scientific method, you know, or credit mm-hmm. to white men. Um, mm-hmm. If I had the square threads available, I wish I could cite them. But, you know, you know like this, this kind of stuff always happens. There's a lot that is just taught very inaccurately and a lot skipped over. You mentioned Tulsa. Um, yes. a little bit ago, Hannah, and I think <laughs> this is, it's going to sound like a compliment for Trump. It's not, trust me. Um, <laughs> Trump, Trump said something, um, when he canceled that rally or he didn't cancel it, he moved it a day later because he, he had a, he, he originally had his Tulsa, Oklahoma rally was scheduled for Juneteenth and he moved it out of, um, he moved it out of, um, respect for the people complaining because, oh, well, African-Americans celebrate Juneteenth that day. And in respect for that and the great Tulsa riot, I will move it to the next day. And then he said, you know, because of me, people know about Juneteenth and they know about Tulsa and they wouldn't have known otherwise. 
And the thing is, he's not entirely wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. you know, there are yeah. a lot of people like, who have never I heard knew... of Juneteenth or the Tulsa think... riot. <laughs> yeah, like growing right outside, outside of Portland, Oregon, I don't think I knew what Juneteenth was until I went to college. Right. Like, I right. don't think, because it's not, I think, especially depending on where you come from in the United States, it's like, it's not something that's usually addressed in school, but it's also not something that, like, unless it's a part of your community and something, mm-hmm. and, like, someone in your community celebrating it in an invisible way, like, you don't see it. So, like, coming from, like, a massively white suburb, in, like, outside of Portland, like, it was just never, like, I'd probably heard the word before, but had no contact. Mm-hmm. So I guess, <laughs> like, I, mean, I mean, and I guess that's kind of what it is. Like, like when ideas lose their, you know, June, I had a friend when, when Watchmen came out, I had a friend, a white friend watch it. And we were talking about it online um, on a Slack channel, just has a bunch of friends of mine. And my friend was like, eh, I didn't, after the first episode, he's like, I liked it. I thought the he's like, I thought the beginning, like it was a little ridiculous to like see an air raid on a random city. Like, you know, like I, it's, I, it's supposed to be grounded in reality. I can't, you know, how are they going to start it with like the U.S. government bombing a random American city and like no one caring? And then so we sent him the Wikipedia page and he just he's like, wait. And he's like, holy shit, that was real. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's real, but like erased. And that's kind of the. Yeah. I mean, erased for good reason, because no one wants to think about that, as opposed to, I think, um, with like with Woodstock and Hendrix, I think it's just sort of a it became so much a part of the culture to hear that song that now it's patriotic. Yeah. Well, the, the Japanese internment camps have been mostly erased as well. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Yeah. We don't no, like I mean, to talk I mean, about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that unless yeah, you go to I'm, school in Oregon and it's taught mandatory in fourth grade, or at least it was in my school district. Yes. Wow. Yeah. See, it was never well, because it was our state. Like the, yeah. the vast majority of like in, on the West coast, you still learn about it, which I think this is also like, this is again different episode, but like the history of the West Coast does not figure in the history of the United States very often when it's taught in K through twelve, and I think that's part of why is because if you're going to talk about like the history of the West Coast is much more in many respects recent mm-hmm. when you're looking at stuff like Japanese internment, like and, and not to mention like you know the colonization of what used to be Mexico when you're looking at like the Southwest and California, and so like well, and- there's there's atrocities throughout American history no matter where you look. Yeah. Like, a lot of the like the, a lot of like the more recent atrocities have happened on especially when you're looking at explicitly stakes like state and federally sanctioned ones mm-hmm. have happened on the west coast i mean we could even talk about like there's like in my mind there's a reason why like the most recent like visible deployment of federal troops happened in portland mm-hmm. um as opposed to on the east coast because most people look at portland and they think oh antifa which has been my like what my experience of like moving out to the west coast people think like i say portland they think of two things which is weed <laughs> and, and antifa. those are the those are the two associations a lot of people have and so like i think that I would have said grunge. Some, I would have said grunge. You guys have sure, bands. Sure, <laughs> right. But I think, like, especially people, like, I think that's also, though, for people who are, like, understand why having, like, ha- like the incidence of, like, feds being deployed in Portland is a problem might have that association. I'm thinking more of, like, people who are like, oh, well, feds, they have to go... You know, mm-hmm. police the rabble rousers, blah, blah, blah. Because <laughs> um, I definitely had members of my own family that like, I had explained to them, like, no, 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 that's that's not that's not an opinion we're going to hold or I will <laughs> literally lose my mind because this is my hometown. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I, I, I'm actually glad to hear that because, yeah, I mean, that was something that was never mentioned in, you know, when I was growing up. And I also, you know, that age thing again, you know, that was more recent history when I was young. Um so there, there might be more of that stuff being taught now yes. than I'm aware of. 
I mean, it was still, and as far as I know, like, I, I can't, I mean, it's, I've got it's young still pretty limited. And, and, and part yeah. of it is also, like, I went to a fairly progressive school district, so we got Native, like, we were, we, my teachers taught us, like, extensively Native American history and about colonization. We learned about Japanese internment. I read about, like, I remember being in fourth grade reading, like, very intense stuff about child internment in Auschwitz. And that's how they introduced it. Mm. They introduced it. Literally, my teacher was like, we're going to, which actually my teacher, Karen McAllister, not that she's ever listening, retired this week. Congratulations. The most badass teacher on the planet. Um, but she was literally like, we're going to, we, I'm going to teach the Holocaust to fourth graders. And then like a month, like for one month. And then the next month, we're going to talk about Japanese internment. Um, Good for her. That's- yeah, she's a badass. Um, and, and in general, like, I think she was the most like vivid example, but I think I had a lot of teachers like her. And I think, I think it is like the passage of time and changes to teaching curriculum, um, either in programs or elected by the teachers themselves has may have made a difference. Cause I don't think, I mean, I've never met anyone else outside of Oregon that ever had Native American history extensively or, oh no. Um, or, or learned about Japanese internment. Most people, I, I mean, I've definitely had experiences of even going to grad school, people who are like very educated, super nerds who didn't know about Japanese internment until I mention it. And I mentioned, and I like, because I actually have a member of my family, my extended family who was interned. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's also like personal and familial history, but like, cause in Portland, I will say this though, is like you, it's it, the, the the weird part about it, and I realize this is somewhat somewhat a tangent, but also I think this gets to a larger question of how things get normalized. Is part of the reason I think we learned, and I say we, I mean Oregonian school children, like of the nineties, because uh, I don't know if it's still taught. I would assume it is, but mm-hmm. I think part of the reason we learned it is because Portland specifically has like has a fairly large like cultural like a surprisingly large like cultural connection to japan we have sisters that we're sister sister cities with a few japanese cities throughout oregon there's a lot of school exchange programs specifically between american and japanese students specifically in response to the history of japanese internment and unless you have that context from school you just think that this is some weird thing that because there's a lot of japanese immigrants here for unknown reasons that portland does because you know nerds like anime or something (laughs) (laughs) i'm serious because like like and 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 because it is the west coast we have we have a lot of um you know there's a a fairly sizable like korean population japanese population like that but like i think it's just like at this point i would be curious to know if people still learn that stuff because i think that casts Portland and Oregon's culture and like the, the the strange relationship it has with East Asian culture in a very different light if you understand it as a response to internment um, as well as also the atom bomb which is a different thing but uh, then as just like this is a thing that Portland just does random it's because at this point it's normalized and unless unless you know that history like probably just go like well that's weird you, you mentioned the the native american thing we got a little bit of that but it was very much a a localized i mean where mm-hmm. i grew up in southwestern pennsylvania french and indian war and the revolution and mm-hmm. you know westward expansion you know, during colonial times um so there was a certain amount of you know, acknowledgement of indian cultures in the area but it was usually in the context of and then they massacred this white family yeah, we so, ours, so, so we got some of that history, but it was yeah. certainly you know we got a 
fair amount of that. The parts I rem- most like remember the most time being spent on was like, yes, the history of colonization and basically white people being colonizers and massacring everyone. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it was also like, here are the like cultural and scientific advancements made by Native Americans. This is how like how boats were constructed. This is how Native Americans approached like mapping the region, how property worked. So it was also just like learning Native American culture, like specifically situated in the various tribes yeah, of the see, Northwest. I, I don't know if I got that in school or if I because I, I read a lot of that stuff, but I read a lot on my own. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much of that was actually part of my classwork and how much it was we just did. books out so, of the library. So I'm wondering, and this is this goes into the intentionality of the way that we we remap history as opposed to the, you know, just the X. Well, actually, at least I assume it's intentionality. We had a lot of it. Um, I grew up in Ohio. I grew up outside of Cleveland, as I've mentioned on the show before. And as much as you, you know, there's a lot of reasons to joke about people from Cleveland, um, many of which are true. I'm not not even disagreeing with any of them, but um, it's um, eighth grade history in Ohio is or at least used to be Ohio history, it, you know, as opposed to I think seventh grade was U.S. history and eighth grade was like the history of the state of Ohio. And it's really impossible to do Ohio history without heavily getting into a lot of Native American stuff. Because everybody um, lives in a town named for yeah, American name. and because there was so much, I mean, there there's so much uh, happening, but it is it is an extremely sanctified. Everybody got along except for these couple little wars kind of thing. Like it, you know, it, it's definitely whitewashed quite a bit. Um, yeah, yeah, it's there. So I mean, it's kind of weird because like I, like. I certainly like we spent weeks talking about Pontiac, like the individual named Pontiac mm-hmm. and sitting bowl. And, you know, we, we spent weeks on these people and certainly there's a lot of, you know, Pocahontas who has, you know, who most people think of as a Disney princess. We talked about that. And there's a lot of, you know, certainly I got more context than anybody who only knows that name from Disney movies, which, you know, is what Wayne school would have done, but it's certainly not historically. Yeah. I, I, I got, I got more than that. There was a, a series of books I read as a, as a child from our library and they had all of them and it was, and I, I spent years tracking this down. There's one in specific I, I wanted for my, my library and it's like childhoods of famous Americans and they were biographies of, of famous Americans, obviously. Uh, and you know, written at that third, fourth, fifth grade level, uh, and they were written as novels, so they were narratives, but they were based on on genuine history. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I remember reading you know, George Washington, Abe Lincoln, and the ones that that you remember. But I also read you know Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse, and the one I tracked down was Sequoia. You, yeah, you, warriors and and frontiersmen and whatnot. What's the book Wayne relates to? The guy who created an alphabet for the the Cherokee Nation. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, but that, that was that was a book I specifically was trying to track down for years. So I I read a lot of that stuff on my own. The books were available in the library. Right. I don't know how much we actually talked about any of that mm-hmm. in class. Well, for us, we you know we ignored. There, there's a lot of rape and murder that we just pretty much ignored. Yeah, <laughs> and that's and which frankly, I, there's I, a lot of that. So. Which I think also goes to like the, the question you were talking you were raising about intentionality is that like 
so much of our education, unless you well, unless you seek it out, like Wayne's talking about, like so much of our education can be easily limited to what we learn in like elementary school, middle school, high school, and even college. Because especially once you're getting to college, you're looking often looking at specific subjects. Like I never took a straight history course in college. There was aspects of history in my courses, but it wasn't mm-hmm. part of my curriculum. I think, and I'm in the humanities, so that's probably even more true of folks that are like in STEM fields, mm-hmm. for example. And like we had a required one. We had one required history. I mean, I took more than that because yeah. of, right. as, of an LCS. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but we had one required history course for a humanities major at yeah. Samia. I, I had a really right. amazing high school history teacher for both American and world history. And uh, I, I was a history major in undergrad, history and psych. So I took a lot of history classes. <laughs> but that was you. That was you specializing. That wasn't. Yeah, you know, right. 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 And so to, to Mav's point about uh, intentionality and also I think Wayne's point about like how much of our education can sometimes be like self-directed based on the classes we choose, the books we seek out. Like, I think there's the issue that like so much of our education is based off of that foundation we learned in like elementary school, middle school, high school, which is limited by what teachers and parents especially think is quote unquote appropriate for children. Like I know for a fact, my fourth grade teacher that taught Auschwitz got a lot of pushback from parents basically going like, you cannot possibly teach the Holocaust to children. They are not prepared for that. Wow. Yes. See, that's because, standard so curriculum was, for us. That is not. That it was, was specifically yeah. because she assigned a book called Kit. I like my understanding. And again, I was for fourth period of time. So I know this through my mom. Um, my understanding is that it was because she she assigned a specific book to us called Kinderlager, huh. which is a book that has images reprinted from children's camps mm-hmm. from the Holocaust and fairly great it's not written it's i would say it's like it's a book that's written to be accessible but not edited for children gotcha it is graphic huh um but also very frank about you know mm-hmm. i just like it's it's very frank about like what's going on i mean like i don't i can't imagine another way of telling the story of an internment camp without like showing those pictures and explaining like these are the kinds of things that were done but i think especially because it was a book about these were the kinds of things that were done to children your age that look like you kind of thing a lot of yeah like there were there were pushback there was pushback from parents and like what when i think about like what a watered down version of teaching the holocaust would look like and we apply that logic of like wanting to protect children for like reasons i don't think are entirely entirely misguided but like when when you apply that logic to things like the civil rights movement to police brutality to like class warfare to all kinds of different things it becomes clear to me how people get a very stilted view not only of american history but history in general and if that's the foundation you're building on and you don't have the intellectual curiosity or the resources to go beyond that i kind of get how you get to the point of like you look at a hendrix meme and you think that's real mm-hmm. wow i just I'm, I'm like shocked that you got so for us again I'm a little older than you um th- and Diary of Anne Frank and Eli Weissel's Night are standard curriculum for everyone. Everyone in my school district just reads both of those in like fifth or sixth grade, maybe fourth. Yeah, we certainly didn't. I mean, oh, wow. I think that the night night's pretty frank and graphic. Um, but I think that <laughs> Anne Frank's diary um, is, is seen as less troubling for like younger readers because it's more about the hiding and like her experiences yeah. before she yeah. and her family were like, yeah. So like I, I, I got um, introduced to the Holocaust uh, through Anne Frank's diary and a couple of other things, but nothing quite as graphic as what Hadia's described. My, I, I uh, read night because my father was like, you need to know here, um, read this and we will discuss it. Um, so it right, wasn't which I school. think is like, 
I don't know. I like I and I say this as a not parent, but like <laughs> I like I understand why parents like why why parents and teachers have this hesitation to want to have those conversations. But at the same time, it's like this is what you need to know this stuff. I mean, it's like I think a lot of people are talking about this of like particularly white parents about how to talk to your your children about racism, because like if you wait to have conversations about white supremacy until they're quote unquote older, it's mm. too late in a lot of cases, uh, which is not to say people can't change. But like you are now trying to reverse potentially reverse something that's already happened rather than prevent the kid from developing or at least being unaware of certain things in the world mm-hmm. yeah, until but, they're an adult. Well, I, I I have to throw in the 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 comic stuff that Marcel and I have worked on the the Hutzpah comics that are yes. telling stories of the Holocaust, and they are aimed. I mean, I've I've never been instructed in in as a creator of how you tell the story. I've been left to my own devices, but uh, we want to aim it at at least a middle school reading level, uh, mm-hmm. challenging for middle school, and. The, there are people, there are educators working at the Holocaust Center who have developed uh, lesson plans and class plans around the stories that we've written. Uh, I, I have a, a binder here that is just, it was kind of flattering and stunning. You know, I did research before writing these stories. But they hand me this book that here's the teacher's resource guide for issue one. Like, holy shit, we wow, have all that awesome. in there. <laughs> you know, uh, and it is, it, it's amazing. And it, it's available. The comics are available through Amazon. The, the teacher's guide is also available through Amazon. Shameless plug. Um, but, but they're designing it to be to be taught. And I, I know that uh, the stuff that I've been writing and working on has been taught in middle schools and high schools mm-hmm. and in colleges. There was a woman who was using it at Pitt uh, a year or so ago. Um, and yeah, they, they have put together some just phenomenal, just little things. Like I, you know, in my script, I will mention a town and here's two pages on the history of that town. Um, so they, they they've done phenomenal work expanding on those stories, but it's very much meant as yes, here's a comic and here's a story and it's a narrative and it should be entertaining and engaging, but it's very much aimed Mm -hmm. as, as an educational tool. So now they're now you're doing I mean, not you, because you just wrote the original, but they who are who wrote this guide are doing actual literary criticism, which is important. They're giving context to what you're reading, which are further resources. Yes. All that stuff. Which, you know, if you go back to like the episode where we talked about Gone with the Wind and the changes that they made or when, you know, when they brought it back and they added that little five minute blurb at the beginning, that five minute blurb is important. Having cultural context to what you read and what you absorb is important, not because. So I think this is I think this is very, very weird. Um, we, we did our whole episode on, you know, on the author is dead. Right. We've we've talked about that. And yes, I do think that, you know, whatever a book, whatever a text means to you. And I'm saying text now because I'm including things like speeches or movies or music by Hendrix. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever a cultural object means to you, an artifact means to you, that is important and that is valid. And if you feel all gung ho about America because you're listening to Hendrix's national anthem, if you want to play that, if you want to, in fact, it'd be awesome. If you want to open football games or, or baseball games with Hendrix's rendition. Yes. Wonderful. I have no problem with that. But I also think that it's important to keep the context of when of when the object was produced. I think both things are important to study in order to have a full understanding of it. Yeah. 
great because it's but well especially because as we've talked before on before a lot of like a lot of times like things becoming mainstream is part of like the normal progression culture right like things always like not everything but in general things tend to move from the fringes of culture mm-hmm. towards this you know this for lack you know what commonly we would refer to as like the center or we right. not talk about the hegemonic culture for when we were technical remember when the so beatles becoming- used to be transgressive <laughs> yeah right right that was a now long time ago in, like Every like you know every elevators every, every everywhere basically John, because John, it's like considered nothing like yeah because now at this point everyone's like oh well no one could possibly be offended by the Beatles well it's like well at one point in history they, everyone they was really offended were. by the Beatles well, John Lennon's song you imagine is you know he's he's recommending atheism and communism I've heard it played at churches yeah. and and yeah and everybody <laughs> loves that song uh, yes. like they you completely mix miss the point of it. Also, also, just in case anyone's wondering, so you want a revolution is not actually revolutionary. Uh, and by yeah, saying right. revolution, I mean revolution because I just apparently want to misquote the song. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care about the Beatles. I, I I listened to them to be transgressive because my mother didn't like them, and now. <laughs> what, what era did you grow up in? I imagine in my head, Hannah grew up in like 1947, except for I know she didn't. She's a time traveler and she's been lying. I I, I think she has a TARDIS. She just hasn't told us about. I I bought that single explanation. I bought that single and experienced 45 revolutions per minute. Also, I sarcastically Uh, named a uh, subheading of my third chapter on Tell Two Cities Say You Want a Revolution. And I'm mocking both Dickens and the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very niche title of nerdery. <laughs> and I think that should tell everyone listening who hasn't gone through a graduate program. This is this is how we entertain ourselves in grad school, guys. This is, this is how it yeah. happens. Yeah. Anyway. I guess we've like covered this aspect of like there is a lack of like there there is like a, a, a like a lack of context or in some cases a lack of education that leads to stuff like the Hendrix meme that you start the show with have. But like I guess that but, but I I still feel like the other side of the coin is people purposefully ignoring yeah. that stuff because one of the questions we we I remember we talked about when we were initially talking like wanting to do the show was like people like to what extent are people consciously appropriating these things for an ideological purpose? I think it's both. Yeah, I, I, I think there is just some Borg-like assimilation of it. It's been around so long that people, you know, they're not aware of the original context of it, and, and it just gradually is absorbed into the culture and takes on a different meaning. meaning. I mean, there's certain, I mean, Hannah, you said it's, you know, a little of both, right? And I, I think it is because... Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that we can talk about Mining Katya's grad program right now as an example of something that's a little bit of both, especially more of the, I think, appropriating. Um, yeah. So Duke um, is where Katya and I went for our programs uh, in case... You somehow missed that um, from our mirrored episode. Yes. And so, like, in 1969, um, like, some Duke students... Uh, importantly, like members of the Afro American Society, uh, occupied the Allen Building. Which, for those of you who are not like Dukies, I can't believe I said that word. Um, oh my God! Do you, uh, uh, no, don't just. Do you guys really call yourselves Dukies? I do not, but people I, who are fans of it's Duke. usually, in my experience, it's usually used pejoratively. Yeah. How could um, it not I mean, be? I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I kind of am at this point. Um. Anyway, the Allen no, Building is the administration it. building. Uh, also, the English building for some weird reasons on the third floor, but that's not important. Anyway, they took over the Allen Building. Uh, I mean, as a protest. not just weird reasons, Stanley Fish reasons, but yeah. only English people know what that yeah. means. <laughs> uh, they took over the Allen Building as a protest 
for civil rights. And so like there have been a couple, like over the years, there have been other student movements that have like built upon this protest and have you know sat in in like the administrative offices. Uh, we've had we had one uh, specifically and mining Katya's time there, though I can't remember the year protesting. Yeah, it uh, was. So we had basically. So this is a historic. It's a it's a very historic protest at Duke and is remembered as such in the archive. Duke uh, during our time there, Duke did at least one, if not actually several, like library exhibits about the Allen Building takeover as well as like other momentous like on-campus protests and i think the reason like the reason this is kind of a salient example is because as and i have referenced before on the show um both of us were involved in the early stages of the duke graduate student union during the election fight of that union there were in these like very initial states of it stages of it the original activists on campus that were trying to get the movement for union grad unionization rolling one of their first major protests that like got a lot of visibility was occupying the allen building uh, duke was not pleased to put it lightly uh and so like there's been other like important um protests that i guess you know the one that i actually think i want to talk more about is in 1968 there was um a silent vigil at duke which followed the death of martin King. uh and in april 2018 president vincent price uh, was honoring like alumni who were involved um, in like these like protests and vigils in the 60s. And a undergraduate student group called People State of the University uh, like stormed the stage at his alumni address. Uh, and they like had, you know, a series of like request, like not request demands. It, um, they had, a, they, had a, they had, they were presenting a bunch of demands on the part of the student body, but also on the part of multiple campus unions. Right. And, um, many of the, yeah. many of the campus unions, worker unions actually have their origins in the events of 1968. So that like part of it is also that history is directly connected to the history that was being supposedly celebrated by this campus event. Right. Which is why. Which is, so they're, they're not just like interrupting it randomly. It was yeah. like it, there, there was an actual historical connection as well. Which is like if you read their demands, the first thing um, they like cite is implement a $15 per hour for Duke employees like which includes everybody um because duke famously was praised a couple of years ago for a $15 an hour minimum wage but that didn't apply across the board so the administration typically decided to try and punish the students who stormed the stage even though they were protesting at an event that was celebrating protest and thankfully eventually they got pushed back so it was dropped but you know this this is just kind of sort of the you know we yeah, celebrate protests but it's I, I, I got to say if you ha- if you have an event that's celebrating protest it makes sense to expect one <laughs> right exactly well and it was especially it was and one of the reasons it got a lot of ire on campus but also in some of the local media outlets was basically because like the thing that the students were protesting was basically the way that duke itself had not lived up to the demands of the original 68 protests mm-hmm. because duke famously both not only the grad union but also the union the other unions like duke is well known in durham and the surrounding area for being like an, like anti-labor um often has a lot of very racist administrators not to mention the, the, the racist roots of the institution itself on top of it also don't like, also the racist um actions of like duke undergrads in the community or the lack of care 
for like people who like work at Duke or go to Duke who live off campus and move into like gentrifying neighborhoods in particular right now. Right. And then, yeah. And it's basically like, so like that entire moment was very much like, not only are we going to do this weird thing where we're going to co-op protest, like sort of in the Hendrix meme sense, but we're also then going to use that moment to cover over the ways that mm-hmm. we have failed to respond to that protest while simultaneously congratulating ourselves for having an activist student body. Yes. While also punishing the current activist student body. It's like, a, it's layers. It's layers mm-hmm. of goddamn. And I, and I have to say that if you're interested in reading more about this history, uh, we have some links in the show notes, show notes to mm-hmm. the Chronicle and some Duke archives, um, which covers some of these protests and vigils. And mm-hmm. a lot of it actually continues also in the COVID era where, you know, of course, Duke, along with many other institutions, is failing to not protect students, workers and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah. you know, while they're not, I mean, they're not talking about 1968 anymore because that would be inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, this I, summer, um, you know, the unions at Duke, graduate student union, the different workers unions have banded together to ask the administration to take them into account um, when planning how they're going to handle the fall semester. Mm-hmm. As has been happening at universities across the country as right, well. Right. Mm-hmm. UNC, right next door. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, I, I think that, you know, like, I mean, this is this is true. It, like family dinner table experiences I've had where people have and I've talked about this before on like even the uh, sports show we did um, a long time ago. I think honestly about two years ago uh, when we talked about Colin Kaepernick and how mm-hmm. people were you know upset that he was protesting during their NFL game and how could he when you know like why couldn't it be more convenient and like it's not like we're in the civil rights movement anymore and then you know, if you know about civil rights you might point out that hey protest is supposed to be inconvenient that's the point and what he's doing is pretty like peaceful it's and tame in comparison of what yes. could be done extremely tame i mean like there were there were there was a massive explosion of tweets um after george floyd was murdered about how colin kaepernick was trying to you know point this out peacefully right. like several years ago which is like the case right. of like literally well, every yeah he was doing the thing that people are asking for now why can't they protest peacefully why well, you didn't right. like that either and that's right. where, well, and that's where, I mean, that goes back into the, the memeification thing that I, that I was talking about. And it's sort of, I gave a definition in the call for comments of what I'm, I'm using, I'm using meme both ways. I'm using it to refer to, you know, the graphics on the internet, which is what we usually mean when we say it. But I also mean in the sociological sense, because mm-hmm. that's what we do. Yeah. But like he was, and the ori- which is the original sense of the term. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he was doing something that you know the brilliance of his protest wasn't just that it was peaceful the brilliance for of, of Colin Kaepernick's protest uh, before he got fired i mean is that he literally did almost nothing it was the least i mean uh, for his actual physical effort which is to say like the the calories that he was expending personally <laughs> to do it was the least amount of work that he could have possibly done to start a protest he all he did was just like you know kneel there like he literally like it was probably more work to stand up and like the brilliance of it was the entire actual protest all of the notoriety that grew around it was generated by people who largely disagreed with him right like right. like nobody who was yeah, in support like, of BLM had, had a problem with it for, had it not been for sports pundits talking about it I who I don't think I've watched an entire football game in the last 10 years would have no bloody idea who he even was yeah <laughs> right? like, I, yeah I know his name as the guy who 
kneels, not as he plays football. Well, and see, and, and here's the thing. Like, so I'm a football fan, so I did know who he was ahead of that. And it's sort of like I, I remember um, I was I was mentoring another teacher a couple of years ago and we were talking about protests and stuff in, in the class. And and she brought that up as an example. This is, you know, of you know, well, what do you think about, say, this? What you know, she was trying to talk about how speech takes other forms than just actual things that people say. Um, and she was, and she had said, well, you know, for instance, you know, this is a, a powerful statement because because that he did this, he did this without saying anything. He doesn't have a job today and he'd probably be starting in the NFL. And and um, and then she said that and there and you could tell it was like me and there were like there were like three guys in the class who clearly were football fans and one of whom was probably leaning towards MAGA side and the other two were not. And all three of them were like, eh. <laughs> and see the, so I do know enough about Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick was the third. Well, at that point, he was the backup because the guy was hurt. But he was the third string quarterback on the worst team in the NFL at the time. So he wasn't lighting the world on fire. He'd been in the Super Bowl a couple of years before, but he wasn't doing a lot at that point. If Colin Kaepernick had been more famous, then probably um, they might have like if Colin Kaepernick was winning Super Bowls at that moment, people would have found a way to ignore him or to let it go or, or get it. You know what made his protest worthy for me? What made it notable was that he was willing to lose everything because he didn't have he he didn't have like Tom Brady, dumbass that he is, is not can do whatever it, right. He can do whatever he wants. He's never going to get fired. Um, because because uh, because uh, while Colin Kaepernick was starting his kneeling protest at the same time they started they did an interview where they started talking to other people who had who were also not standing for the national anthem and they asked Marshawn Lynch if he was going to participate and Marshawn Lynch said I'm not going to kneel I'm sitting on the bench just like I've done every game my entire yeah. uh, my entire career I don't stand for that dumbass racist song and nobody touched Marshawn Lynch because Marshawn Lynch is a football team by himself <laughs> and, and, no, and no one was gonna screw with that like they just let it go and, and he, nobody he, noticed he'd been sitting yeah he yeah no one noticed he'd been sitting and they weren't and he you know and he was disrespectful about it but no one's going to protest marshawn lynch because because they just can't afford to fire him so that's mm -hmm. what made kaepernick well, the fans are like we don't we don't want to we, we want the guy who scores the point yeah yeah he's you know Marshawn Lynch is amazing. So, so like, so like, so I understand that. But then I was just, but then the problem with it is with people who, so for a while, you know, people like Trump saying, ah, that son of a bitch, you know, like him doing that. Like he, he helped make Kaepernick's movement grow just by complaining about it. But then the movement becomes assimilated because as it seeps more and more into the pop culture zeitgeist, it became about the flag. Well, he's he's protesting the flag. There's no fucking flag there. If anything, he's protesting the song, which he's also not doing, you know, but there, but but it's not like he's kneeling for the flag. The flag's just there. there. I mean, there there are flags, but it's not like he, you know, it's not like he starts kneeling when they bring the flag out. He starts kneeling when they start playing the song. But it became about the flag even though that wasn't his intention, because part of what makes the memes work is how the culture adapts it at the time. Right. So now now the reason you have people making things like that Hendrix meme is 
because in the mind of whatever idiot made that meme, well, the thing that is protesting America is to kneel, which was not a thing before Kaepernick, you know, I mean, and Kaepernick chose it to be respectful. They don't even know. Like the re- Kaepernick sat down the first two weeks of his protest. And then a friend of his was like, basically, he talked to this guy who was a Navy SEAL. And the guy was like, if you're going to do this, do it right. I don't want you to sit. I want you to kneel because that's a movement of respect. And I don't want anybody to ever say that you're disrespecting the anthem. So you are showing that you are respecting it in a different way. It's a military thing. So that's why he picked kneeling. He changed because there's like, he's like, oh, okay, I get it. So if I kneel, then I'm, sh- then I'm respectfully protesting. He's, and he said, you'll always be able to fall back on it. And it didn't work because people just ignored it. They have no idea. Like they're like, well, you should be standing with your heart over your hand over your heart. Like we always done newsflash. We did not always stand with our hand over our heart. We didn't start doing that till World War Two. We used to do the same salute that they use for like we used to do essentially the Nazi salute of putting your hand forward. We changed that because the Nazis were using it. So the so the idea of standing with your hand over your heart is only about 80 years old at this point, um, just so you're 75 um, uh, years old at like today. So it hasn't always been there. The idea of um, playing the national anthem at football games happened after the World War Two. Do you know when they started having players come out to salute the national anthem? 2003. So you're nostalgic about something. It, it was after 9-11. You're nostalgic about something that started happening like after you started watching football. If you watch football, you don't remember it from when you were a kid because it was unless you're 20 years old today. It's, you know, it's a thing that started happening after 9-11 and we started doing it because the army paid us to. It's a fucking commercial. So, so, so like, but like it became a thing. It's got power now because that's what they're attached to. They're attached to this tradition from a little while ago. And that's, and that's the way memes work. It's Mm -hmm. a virus. This, this idea disseminates and suddenly it has always been true. Yep. So it's weird. Because like I don't know how I don't know how to handle that. I I mean I gave the example I gave the example of um I, I talked about a couple of them, but there's songs like Born in the USA by Springsteen, which mm-hmm. he wrote, and then immediately when he wrote it, Ronald Reagan started using it as a campaign song. It was still on the charts, and Ronald Reagan's like, This one's mine. And Springsteen and his people are like, You maybe want to listen to this a little closer. <laughs> I don't yeah. think you want to use this song. And so so eventually Reagan dropped it. And then it was not immediately, but then Bob Dole used it in 1996. And then Pat Buchanan used it in the year 2000. And it's like, do you people have you listened to the lyrics at all? It doesn't make any sense. Just that that whole thing of of politicians using using songs like that. And and, particularly the the right appropriating some pretty liberal messages from Mm -hmm. from performers. Uh, So I saw a headline. There's a, a site called The Hard Times, which is sort of the onion for for music fans yes i'm it's and, good, and it's like, they just it, it cracked me up because it said uh you know joe biden gets cease and desist order from ted nugent for his constant use of wang dang sweet poon tang so <laughs> none of the rest of you know that song <laughs> old <laughs> well i mean yeah, yeah my, my really topical example was to was to point out that um uh, George H.W. Bush tried to use Don't Worry Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin. Yeah. And then Bobby McFerrin started campaigning, like not only coming out for and endorsing, but he was like actively, politically, actively like campaigning for Michael Dukakis. So Bush changed it to start using, um, uh, he, he started. <laughs> He started using Woody Guthrie. Um, <laughs> yes. This land is your land as his um as his campaign. Has, has anyone listened to that song all the way through? Which like yeah. 
I'm not saying that like its message is 100% because stolen land and all yeah, that, but also they, like this machine kills fascists. Some people aren't aren't that bright. Also, yeah, do. but also like I don't think that song really believes in private property. Um, no, it does not. It does so, not. It's it's literally it's and 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 like it's and and Woody Guthrie in life was a communist, and I don't mean that in the way that like conservative people insult yeah, like the literal liberal. actual believe in the technical tenets yes. of communism. <laughs> he was he was literally the he was the most of a pinko as you know pinko swine as the as everything that you're afraid of like Joe Biden being that was Woody Guthrie. Mm. What are you doing? But you know it. But at but today this land is your land is an American. It's a it's an American treasure. It's you know and like because we can do that we play songs on you know I've I've heard advertisements that use born in the USA. Well, so I believe what we're we're saying here is that every conservative if they want to needs to think a liberal for basically everything that they love about Americana. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we've gotten here. Well, it, you do. Like I mean because like, <laughs> not just a liberal but like you know when I said when when I when I did my rant after the George Floyd murder of, you know, and like I I I mean I I waited a couple of days. I don't know if you guys you guys remember. I wrote the first thing I did was I reforwarded this rant that I'd written after Ferguson a couple of years ago. And then I said, I need to wait a couple of days. And I waited till the night the riots started to actually write my new rant because I was waiting for the riots to start. Because what I wanted to talk about was the people saying, well, rioting never solved anything. Martin Luther King was against this. You'd be ashamed of you, blah, 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 blah. And I said, and I said something in that rant, which Barack Obama said like a week later. I'm like, fuck you. I did that first. But, um, but like everything that you've ever gotten in this country that you enjoy happened because of riots. The fucking country is solved. It, it started over a over a riot over tea, you know, and they're like, and I, and I said that. And the guy was like, well, that wasn't that wasn't the Boston Tea Party. That wasn't a riot. And I'm like, yeah, it was. It was a bunch of idiots vandalizing what private property. What is the technical definition of, yeah. of riot that they're using? Is Black it just people. a congregation? Yeah, right. right. Is it, it, like, Black, Black yeah. people. Like it, was, it was right if you owned the tea company. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, it was nonviolent. I'm like, they invaded well, actually, like, was- after the Boston, like, a lot of people, I mean, this is one of the things that people talk about, like, historically of, like, why uh, Thomas Paine's common sense was so important, is, like, that was the, for, for those who don't know, Tom, common sense was a pamphlet written by Thomas Paine that basically was about, like, why, you know, why you should stand for freedom, liberty, blah, 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 all the American stuff. I haven't read in a while, but anyway, <laughs> part of the reason that um, common sense was so important is because prior to that, actually, a lot of people living in what would be the United States were saying the exact same things people were saying about rights now. They're like, yeah. oh, this is a this is this is d- destruction of property. This is inappropriate. This is all these kinds of things like like common sense was one of the one of the things, not the only thing that like changed a public opinion to being more in favor of the revolution. And I mean, throughout the American Revolution, there were significant portions of the population that were not about it. Right. Like this yeah. was not oh, a yeah. unanimous decision. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And that's what happens. The riots change cultural change over time. And now now in 2020. Oh, well, well, America was all about we believe this this thing where America was always about this and America was always about that because there was a there's a clip that was on John Oliver a couple weeks ago where they were they were showing some city council meeting and some guy or city council meeting or school board meeting that with parents and some guy stood up and he said, well, you know, I think the most important thing 
what I really want my kids to learn from school is American exceptionalism. I want them to understand that we are the greatest country on the face of the earth. And I'm like, that's not a good thing. You're asking the schools to teach you lies. But like, that's what you're asking. You're also asking schools to be like nationalist propaganda. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what he wants. Because there is almost no metric by which that is true. No. There is literally uh, no metric by which that's true. Well, dare we're, say. we're number one in a lot of things. They just happen to be the bad thing. Well, yeah, but that's not that's not great. Unless I, I guess we're going by Trump's cases, for example. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. we are. Right. I, I might be ending this show with the in bumper. Might be the clip from Newsroom where he's like, "America's not the greatest country <laughs> in the first year," which is which is a good rant. If if, if I don't end it, I will yeah. at least link to that entire rant in in, in the show notes. Um, but. Mm-mm. Well, I think like the thing that always like really like you know so many things that piss me off about people being <laughs> stupid in the news. I, I'm not just gonna limit to one, but one of the many things that piss me pisses me off is like I'm not a particularly like American whatever patriot blah blah blah. But one of the things that does rub me the wrong way is it's like the whole people that claim to be that but then are constantly about maintaining status quo have no idea like not even not even necessarily the whole like MAGA make America great again for this like nostalgic time that never existed mm-hmm. but even just people that are trying to maintain the power dynamic that exists right now in this moment is usually a status quo that was that got there through blood sweat and not tears that, and, and not like, that long ago People that are arguing, which like I like that are arguing for stasis and that somehow maintaining what is current is the American thing. And people who critique it are somehow un-American have such a gross misunderstanding Mm -hmm. of all of American history. Every even people I don't like from American history, Mm -hmm. recent and and distant, Mm -hmm. like the thing that got them in history books was precisely because they were trying to make the world a different place. Not always a better better. one, different, but a different place. (laughs) Yes. And like, I think one of the things that spoke to me when I started grad school was, was, uh, you know, I'm someone who's, who's always been really fascinated by American history and history in general. And oddly, um, like, war, like war and what makes people want to go to war. And, but one of the things that, that actually a scholar of science fiction, um, said to me was that the Declaration of Independence and every, every other like revolutionary tract all of those are works of science fiction. Mm-hmm. They are mm-hmm. things that were, this is a thing that one day we hope exists. Yes. They are not, they're aspirational documents. Mm-hmm. They are not, they were not a description of this is what the world is in this moment because they couldn't be even by people who believed that they were because hello, slavery was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, among other things, mm-hmm. women couldn't vote all, or own property in many cases, a lot, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I can continue. So we've gotten there over as American. close as we've gotten to the flying car. Right, exactly. So like, <laughs> Right. And it's like if if you actually to me, it's like if you actually want to claim to be an American patriot or whatever, if you want to use that language, it's like, well, then then you should actually be fighting to actualize those documents that you be- that you sub- claim that you believe in and clearly have never read. I mean, like, um, it, like all clearly that, yeah. do not want to read because you want them to be you. You want whatever cozy little corner of classist white supremacy that you have. You want that to be the world because that is comfortable to you and familiar. And God, I hate people someday. I mean, so the whole reason most of us, if we have, I don't mean us on this show, but the reason why most people have full-ish middle class and so on jobs is because of labor rights, both in the United States right. and elsewhere. And guess what? There were lots of riots in the 19th century. They, like, you, like women have the right to vote because of riots. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. we have whatever level of equality we have right now from race and gender 
because of riots. Like, literally everything good about your life in the United States happened because of a riot. Yep. All of it. I mean, like, yeah, just... The the, the Civil War was a five-year riot. (laughs) Yes. And also, yeah, just it's it's all a lot. Um, (laughs) We should all do some more reading. And also, like, I think that if anything history has taught us, it's not just we should do the reading, but find ways to put that into action, even if we sometimes screw up. You, you, dear listener, consider going to a protest, whatever that means to you, whether it's screaming in the streets or writing better memes. (laughs) I accept accept writing better memes as a form of very low bar protest. Mm -hmm. You know, as much as I bitch about the limitations of online protest, see one of our previous episodes. I, I accept better memes. If that's if that's what you get, get you here, I you know and like I'm for it. Get, I mean, get the yeah. get the Gen Zers and maybe perhaps signing or Gen Xers petition or like tweeting as part of a hashtag isn't the most one could do, but it's not nothing. So have we resolved anything? No, we've resolved nothing. No. <laughs> Wait, I guess we've resolved that we're going to have a Marble League show. <laughs> it's, it's I love fun. how effortlessly you slid right back into that. Yeah, that, that was crazy. That was awesome. I mean, I will say, I've, I, I didn't mention at the top of the show, I have made an exciting and important personal commitment in my life. Okay. I have picked a Marble League team. And what is the team? The Raspberry Racers. Okay. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Part of it, it was a no small reason because... One, red is one of my favorite colors. And they're winning a and lot. And two, I do in fact have a raspberry beret. <laughs> and I will be wearing it once it store? is no longer the surface of the sun. Oh. Sorry? Is it the kind you, I mean, is the kind you find in a secondhand nice. store? Wow. Jeez, if she doesn't get that reference, then it I'm... It actually okay. is the kind that you wear get from a secondhand store. And okay. yes, I got that uh, reference. Okay. Why do you think I wanted to wear a raspberry okay. beret for excuse the me, excuse League? Me. I am insulted, <laughs> sir. I am younger <laughs> than you. I am not a child. <laughs> Conti and I got our trivia question right, actually, when they played Raspberry Bray and they were like, who sings this song? And we knew. <laughs> How is it a trivia question? Jesus, that's a trivia because question? We went to mediocre trivia, one, and two, I believe that was the trivia week that was all themed after clothing, which I want to say is one of the few trivia categories I have ever excelled at, because if there's one thing I know, it is obscure things that relate to fashion history. I'm also pretty sure that was a week that only Kati and I were our team, and so we just drank a lot of cider and listened it, to songs about clothes. It, it was also covered by the Hindu love gods, but that's that's another story. It's, I just... <laughs> I, the, 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 Orn's Yvonne. It's just to to call like Raspberry Ray Berea an obscure musical reference is just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's an obscure musical reference. I was referring to the general like most people don't know fashion history, which like fair enough. Okay, that 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 will accept. Also, like, that was the easy no, Raspberry Beret is the least obscure musical history. No, that was that was like the easy song. They always like give you one, so like you should know this if you haven't lived under a rock. Like, and also to focus. be fair, you got roughly like. Three seconds of the song. Mm-hmm. What's that, and you had what's that incredibly was? patriotic song that Ronald Reagan uses as a campaign? <laughs> Raspberry oh, Beret. Boy. Raspberry Beret. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, oh, I love that. Anyway. 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 <laughs> The Raspberry Racers, yeah, I have a team now. Uh, yeah, uh, and the logos. We nice. can't have all the same teams. That would be that would well, be boring. No one we here, would have to actually be nice with no each other. No one here is cheering for the Rangers, so we're all okay. No, that was that was that was. So, what exactly is your beef with the Rangers? They're like the Patriots. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that all of the Rangers are on steroids. 
I'm, I'm, I'm willing to say that. I just, they're, okay. they're juicy. Right. I, I, I have not yet informed a, I, I don't, I don't have a strong opinion on that yet. I, I don't know. I'm still, I'm still working through the Marble League backlog. I'm, I've, I've, I'm caught up on 2020. I'm now going back through earlier seasons to have a firmer grounding in the history and tradition of Marble League. So you're doing process you're doing of re- studying you're doing research for the episode. <laughs> I mean, I'm just doing research for general Katya life because, like, I mean, I think we all we've we've discussed this on the episode on on the on the podcast before. This is close to the most on brand Katya media art thing that exists. But the only thing that could make it more Kat- like on brand Katya is if somehow you could put like vintage sewing and knitting into it. And but the problem would be, I think if that happened, my brain might literally stop functioning. <laughs> Yeah, like I literally had to gear myself up to watch this because I was like, I'm about to be overwhelmed with whimsy, and I'm excited for it. I'm 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 pumped, but also like not prepared. Anyway, <laughs> listeners, we need, we watch, need to end the show before you yeah. do all of the our, our recap shows. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> watch watch for the final event August 16th, link where we will be discussing the Marvel League. Yes, <laughs> uh. Hannah, anything other than Marble League you would like to, to promote? Oh, I, I tweeted, plug. finally. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Hanley Rogers if you want to see my mysterious tweets. And Katya. Uh, for you, you can find me on the Instagram at just that nerd kid, um, but mainly for sewing content and occasionally cats. <laughs> <laughs> and Wayne, uh, I since I, I we're gonna link in the show notes. I sent I sent you the links. Uh, since I mentioned a couple of my blog posts about uh, those children's history books and Sequoia, uh, go read those. Uh, get my blog some traffic. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah those specific blogs are linked in the show notes yeah um and you can follow me on my personal blog at www.chrismaverick.com or at chris maverick on instagram or facebook or twitter all of the places you can follow the show all of the places at Vox Popcast. And you can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com where you find out about what we're going to be talking about next week and can give us feedback and your thoughts. Hint, it's Marble League. Um, <laughs> I think. Yeah, it should be next week. Um, but yes. It, um, and you can also give us suggestions of what you'd like to hear us talk about on future shows. If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor, leave us a five-star review, especially on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes. That helps other people find the show, especially, especially if you don't just rate the show, but if you write a review, you just tell us what you like about it. Tell us, you know, tell us anything. Just, just tell t- us your favorite Marble League game. Yeah, you know? I'm actually kind of curious. And, you know, as long as it's not the O-Rangers. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, if it is the O-Rangers, at least we'll have things to talk about on the podcast. Yes, I, I guess. But yeah, let us know. Give us your thoughts. Give us your thoughts on what you like about the show and especially do us a favor right now as you listen to this please go over to our youtube channel and subscribe to us on youtube um we're trying to unlock some of the benefits that happen if you as you subscribe on youtube more we need more people so if you subscribe to us on youtube that really helps us out like and subscribe to a couple of videos and they're fun the videos are really fun because you can see well, not so much on this show because today we didn't really talk about uh, about things like tv shows or movies or anything but a lot of times i'll put up pictures of whatever we're talking about so that you can see them as you, you know as we talk though so. Um, definitely subscribe to the YouTube channel 
and give us comments there. I like reading them, <laughs> and it does help out. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd like to thank you at home for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. And with a straight face, you're going to tell students that America is so star-spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who have freedom? Canada has freedom. Japan has freedom. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. So 207 sovereign states in the world, like 180 of them have freedom. All right. And yet you, uh, sorority girl, just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there's some things you should know. And one of them is there is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number four in labor force and number four in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a 20-year-old college student, but you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst period, generation period ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yosemite?